Good to see you tonight. We're going to be in 2 Chronicles, if you'd be finding that. 2 Chronicles chapter 34. Appreciate you being here tonight. I appreciate uh, those today who had to kind of fill in some spots. Uh, Brother Justin had to, got called into work and so, so covered for him in several places. And I appreciate people being willing to fill in. It's a blessing and uh, to have servants. Amen? Amen. It's a blessing. I mentioned this during the Sunday school hour today, but I'll mention it again tonight. I uh, want you to know we pray for our church very often, at least once a month. <laughs> More often than that. Uh, and we appreciate your prayers for us uh, as we travel and um, as I said this morning, we don't, we don't uh, always know what the future is going to bring. Sometimes we get called on sort of at the last minute, but, but uh, we do appreciate it. We were in uh, Monette, Missouri three Sundays ago. That's where the youngs attend church when they're not here. <laughs> I told him this morning, you're, you're more faithful than a lot of our members. And... So it's, but anyway, that's their home church, is Monette. And then the Sunday after that, we were in North Liberty, Iowa, where Tom Gibson pastored. Many of y'all know him. And then last Sunday, we were in Massillon, Ohio, up near Cleveland, where uh, Jeremiah Sargent is the pastor. His father, Robert Sargent, has been to our church numerous times. So anyway, we're grateful that God allows us to serve him. And uh, we want to, but we love being here when we can be here. Now tonight... I want to look at a, uh, some testimony concerning the life of Josiah. And you may remember this. I dealt with this subject uh, here on a Wednesday night in May of 2007. So 16 years ago on a Wednesday night. So you may have perfect recall. It's not the same message I'll be preaching. But, it's, but anyway, it's a good book, even if you've heard it before. But anyway, that's a long time ago. So anyway, I've just really been thinking a lot about revival. Of course, we had a revival meeting here, but churches need to be perpetually being revived. Nothing, nothing in nature, nothing in life, just normally gets better. The natural course of things is for things to decline. We see that in our country. We even see it in churches. And... So there's no such thing as just putting our Christian life on autopilot and just expecting it to always keep getting better. It's because we make intentional decisions and we um, follow, really, I, I think, principles of revival which were true in the days of the patriarch. I was thinking today, back in the days of Jacob, when God told him to go back to Bethel and gave him some prescriptions for revival. You see it in the times of the kings and you see it in the, the prophets' messages, whether it's Hosea or Jeremiah, these prophets. You see it in the churches of Revelation in the New Testament. You see it in the epistles as Paul wrote to Corinth. You see these principles that God wants his people and particularly his churches to be applying if we're going to have revival and we need revival 
not just a revival meeting. I tell you, I thank God for our meeting with Brother Fryman. It was a blessing. The preaching was exceptional, and I'm glad for God doing that. But we're going to look tonight at the life of Josiah in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, and I'm going to invite you to stand, if you would, please. And we're going to read a few verses of Scripture, beginning in verse 1. Josiah... 2 Chronicles 34, 1. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And just as incidentally, you young people, if, you got, if we got any young people here, eight, nine, ten years old, if, you ever, if your parents ever get the impression that you're not able to run the house, just remind them, Josiah was a king when he was eight years old. That'll help. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem one in 30 years, 31 years he reigned. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, started... Here's a math problem. He started reigning when he was eight. This is the eighth year of his reign. So he's now what? 88, right. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David, his father. And in the twelfth year, he's now the ripe old age of 20, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places. The places of false worship, the groves, the carved images, and the molten images. And they break down the altars of Balaam in his presence. And the images that were on high above them, he cut down. And the groves and the carved images and the molten images, these idols, he broke in pieces and made dust of them and strode it upon the graves of them that had sacrificed unto them. And he burnt the bones of the priests upon their altars, and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. So he kills these false priests, which would be according to God's law, and then he burns their bones, and cleansed Judah, that's the entire region, and Jerusalem, the capital city of Judah. But he's not done there. Verse 6, and so did he in the cities of Manasseh and Ephraim and Simeon, even unto Naphtali, with their mattocks round about, like a pickaxe. Now, you think about this region, Naphtali is the northernmost tribe, Dan is right next to it, and Simeon is the southernmost tribe, from the north to the south. He did the same thing. And when, verse 7, And when he had broken down the altars and the groves and had beaten the graven images into powder and cut down all the idols throughout all the land of Israel, then he returned to Jerusalem. I mean, you have to, when you look at this, you have to agree, this was such a tremendous example of leadership, of zeal, of passion for what's right. He wasn't, he wasn't idle, he wasn't complacent, he wasn't, he was on fire 
And his life impacted an entire nation, which is really pretty incredible. We're going to look at some things in this tonight. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege it is not only to be here tonight, but to be asked to preach. Father, we're very uh, humbled and, and grateful that, Lord, you continue to let us serve you. Thank you for our church family and for our guests. Thank you for the love that we have for each other and for your word and for you. Father, please help us tonight to go beyond just listening intently to the message, but help us to see areas where we could make changes in our own life that might affect the world that we live in. We trust you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You know, these are really our perilous times, and we're going to look a little bit at the times in which Josiah lived, but uh, I mean, our way of life in America is on a steady decline, and quite honestly, it seems like a lot of churches are either plateaued or they're in decline, and, and that ought to be a concern to us. And I would like to think that I'm, I'd like to think that it would be in God's plan that we would have a nationwide revival, which has happened historically. But personally, uh, I'm not necessarily thinking that's going to happen. But I tell you this: I want to have a revival in my life, and I want to see revival in churches, true revival where God is working and and accomplishing things. So, so I want to begin tonight by just looking at the uh, conditions or the circumstances really that Josiah had to overcome. These things, were not, it wasn't easy for him. But God did a great thing in his day because we have to understand what he did impacted the entire nation of Israel. And it's a remarkable thing. So one of the things he had to overcome, and it's not in this text, but it's in the chapter previous, and that's the past that he had to deal with. He was very troubled. He lived a very dysfunctional life as far as his family was concerned, and uh, let's just look right before our text, in, in the last part of chapter 30, uh, 33, we see a little bit about his dad, whose name was Ammon, or perhaps Ammon, but verse 21, Ammon was two and twenty years old when he began to reign, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem, that's his dad, but he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, as did Manasseh his father, for Ammon sacrificed unto all the carved images which Manasseh, his father, that would be Josiah's grandfather, he sacrificed to these carved images as his grandfather did and his father did, and he served them and humbled not himself before the Lord as Manasseh, his father, had humbled himself at the end of his life. But Ammon trespassed more and more. What a testimony. He just got more and more evil and wicked as he went along. Verse 24, finally it says, Then his servants conspired against him and slew him in his own house. But the people of the land slew all them that had conspired against King Ammon, and the people of the land made Josiah his son king in his stead. So that's why he became king at such a young age. His dad was killed in his own house. He was murdered in his house. And so here's, here's his dad. Now, I think it's important because sometimes we might think, well, you know, I come from such a... I, I, not an ideal family, I didn't have a Christian home, or both my parents may not have been saved, or whatever the case may be. But you know, God can use us in spite of what our past might be like. And he mentions here, it mentions here in the text, 
about Ammon, but also about Manasseh. Let's go back up a little further and look in verse 1 of chapter 33. And this is, this is the testimony of Paul. This is uh, Josiah's granddad. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem. But did that which is evil in the sight of the Lord, like unto the abominations of the heathen. He patterned his life after the, the wicked people of Canaan, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For, notice this, Manasseh, he built again the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had broken down. You see a pattern here. A godly father, he tears down these false idols. A wicked son comes along. He rebuilds them. Someone else comes along and tears them down. So he built again the high places which Hezekiah had broken down, reared up altars for Balaam, and it says he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. Verse 4, he built altars. Just think, let this sink in. He built altars in the house of the Lord, whereof the Lord has said, In Jerusalem shall my name be forever. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Verse 6, this is just the worst. He caused his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Basically, he's offering his children up as sacrifices. He observed times, used enchantments, and used witchcraft. We talked about that in Sunday school today. And dealt with the familiar spirit of wizards. He wrought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. He set a carved image, the idol which he made in the house of God, of which God had said to David and to Solomon, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I've chosen before all the tribes of Israel, I put my name there. So the whole point being this, Josiah, Josiah came from a very troubled past. His grandfather was an evil, wicked man. His father was an evil, wicked man. But again, our past, young person, our past does not have to dictate our future and how God might use us. We can change. We can change the patterns of our past. We can change, you know, the, the values maybe of our past. And so, you know, the, what the devil wants to do is use our misfortunes, our, our past, to try to restrict us or hinder us but God wants to use it to shape us and perfect us. So number one, Josiah had to overcome this troubling past. And it was a challenge. But second of all, and this kind of goes without saying, he had to overcome this age disadvantage. He's eight years old. Now, no doubt he had counselors and advisors and people would help him after his father was killed. But, but even with that, he became a serious spiritual man, young man. I mean, look what it says, and we're going to spend more time on this in a moment, but look in verse, in verse uh, 3 it says, In the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, 16 years old, he began to seek after God. This is, this is such an important... Watch, it, watch this young person developing. He has this tremendous responsibility, this heavy burden, seeing his dad killed at home, all these things happen to him. Now he's 16 years old, and he is a seeker of God. And then when he's 20, verse 3 says, in the 12th year, he began to purge all this. Pur I love the word purge. I have it circled in my Bible in verse 3, to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places. And so he's, he is, uh, he's really a remarkable young man, but he's got this age disadvantage. He's got this uh, background that's a disadvantage. And, and thirdly, he lives in a very dark place. I mean, Israel is, should, or these are the God's people, but they're, 
But there's just a land, give, it's given over to false worship, it's given over to hypocrisy and idolatry, and, and we'll see this a little bit later. Um, they didn't even use the Bible. I mean, they discovered the Bible when they were doing some repairs in the house of God. Here God's people had left the word of God, and there, his, the house of God was being neglected. We'll see that in a moment in the scripture. And, but you know what? That just reminds me a lot of the evil of our own day, how wicked things are. This was a wicked day. Now, here's the thing. Revival doesn't depend upon God being able to move in a perfect situation. Revival just depends on God being able to move and who he's going to work through. How's God going to accomplish this? And so this, this is a reminder to me that... Um, God wants, to, God wants to do something. I believe God does. And we may look for, you know, you've heard this. We probably was said when Brother Fryman was here. People sometimes look for a guest speaker to bring revival, but speakers don't bring revival. God brings revival. But God often revives where, where we follow His plan, His prescription, the, the thing he, he tells us to do. And there is such a great need. I mean, there is a great need for revival in our day. And not just in Franklin County, but in the world, in America in particular. So, we get this idea that Josiah comes on the scene, and he's got, he's got all these things working against him. He's, it's a very evil, corrupt, religious society. It, he's a youngster. I mean, why would anybody respect him? And um, he's, he came from such a horrible past. And so to me, he doesn't really look like a prime candidate. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't really look like. He hadn't been to Bible college. He wasn't raised in a Christian home. You know, he just, he doesn't look like a prime candidate. But God did some remarkable things through him. So with that in mind, we're just going to look at this text together. And, and just with, with this idea, if God could use Josiah, maybe God could use us. You know, maybe God could use you to bring a revival in your world, in your in your family, in your, among your friends, you know, because these, these steps, I hesitate to use the word reform, but in a sense they are reformations. These steps of reform are really what led to revival. And let's, let's just look just basically at the scripture and walk through this together. Go back to verse 2 if you would. And it says this, And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Now, very simple thing. He didn't just do what was right in his eyes. He didn't just do what was right in the sight of his friends. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And walked in the ways of David his father. Which I think is interesting. Because, you know, we live in a day where people more and more want to just cast off the, the way, the traditions of the past. Even in churches, you know, we... Always challenging, always challenging traditions, always wanting to do something different. But you know what Josiah did? He walked in the ways of David, his father. He, he had a pattern, he had an example, and he wanted to follow it. And it says in verse 2, he declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. So to summarize that, this was the first step. He was obedient to what he knew was right. Now that may, may not seem like a big deal, but I think that's where revival starts. You know, you've heard me say this, and you've probably thought it before. 
if, if we don't need anything to change in our life, then we don't even need revival. We don't need to talk about revival. The reason we need revival, all of us need revival, is because there are things that really could be better. Now, we may not, we may not talk like that. We may not want to admit that. We may not be transparent enough to say, you know, as they used to say, I can remember this when I was a kid, it's not my father, not my mother, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in need of prayer. We may not be willing to say that, but the reality is, if we were having a revival, things would be a lot different. They'd be different in our homes. They'd be different in our community if churches were really having revival. And where does it start? I think it starts with a commitment just to simply obey what we know is right. That's what Josiah did. Hearing sermons won't change your life. You know what changes your life? When you are willing to say, here's something in my life that's not what it ought to be, and I'm willing to get this right. I'm willing to make this right. By the way, that's where, you know, backsliding, backsliding is not a New Testament term. It's an Old Testament term, but it's a New Testament, it, it's, it's a New Testament reality. Backsliding starts when we begin to compromise or disobey something we know God wants us to do. And what is that? You know, what is it? I'm going to move on from this, but I think this is a good place to start. And really, if we're not willing to do this, we might as well stop. Because if we don't want to change anything about our prayer life or about our relationship with other people or about our obedience to God's word, if we don't want to change anything, we're not going to have revival. You know, there usually, um, you know, you've heard me say this before. Uh, if, I, if I stood before you today and said, look, let's, I want you to seriously think about this. Um, I come into a lot of money, and, and I want to reward you. But here's the people, they're going to get $1,000 tonight. You'll get $1,000 before you leave here tonight. Or let's just up the ante. You, you'll get $10,000 before you leave here. I've got the money. My wife loaned me the money. But here's how you qualify for $10,000. You, be, you have to sincerely... Before God, identify an area where you know you should be doing something and you're not. Or you know you should not be doing something and you are. Or maybe you know you're doing something but you're not doing it the right way. The only way you get that $10,000 is if you can honestly say, I've got something in my life that I know is not right. And you know what? Most people in this room could walk out of here with $10,000. You may not admit that, but I'll admit it for you. Because most of us have something, we may dismiss it, we may treat it like it's not important, we may think that it's, it doesn't make us worse than anybody else, but I'm just telling you something tonight, and this right here might be worth the whole night. If you're not willing to get that right, you can forget having revival in your life. Revival is not an emotional feeling. It's not getting goosebumps. Revival is having God working in your life in a real way. And if you say no to God in some area of your life, you can forget about God really working in your life. And that's not just for old people, that's for all people. 
So the first thing he did was he was willing, he was willing to do everything. Now look at the description, and I'm going to move on from this. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. You know, it doesn't matter if you read in an article or you listen to a podcast and they said this is okay. That none of that matters. What matters is what God says. He, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He walked in the ways of David his father and declined neither to the right hand or to the left. He was not going to move away from what he knew was right. So he was obedient to what he knew was right. The second thing about him, and we've already mentioned this in verse 3, he, began, he became a serious, at 16 years old, a seeker of God. He began to seek after the God of David, his father. He began, this was an intentional, purposeful decision on the part of Josiah that I am going to discipline myself and I am going to pursue God. I'm going to have a personal, serious, personal relationship with God. I'm going to seek God. And there's a difference, and I'll just, in my own life, there is a difference in seeking after God's blessings. God, would you give me good health? Would you, would you give me this job? Could I get a raise? Would you give us a car? Can you fix the, can you fix the washing machine? I mean, all those things are relevant, but that's not seeking God. That's just asking God to help you. Seeking God is, I'm, I'm going I'm to make this my purpose in life. I want to get to know God. I want to spend time with God. I want to get to know His Word. I want to have a relationship with God that's serious. He became a seeker of God when he was 16 years old. Isn't that good, young person? A seeker of God. God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So, I'm glad, to, I'm glad this includes young people, but again, it's not just for young people. One of my favorite verses is in the 27th Psalm, where the psalmist said, David said, when thou saidest, seek ye my face. He's talking to God. When thou saidest, when you said to me, seek ye my face. My heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. I don't think that's just seeking God to bail us out of a problem. I think it's just seeking God because we want to have a relationship with God. We want to seek the Lord. And so number one, he, he was obedient to what he knew was right. Number two, he began to seek God. And then number three, and this is one of the drastic uh, changes he made in the nation, he began to purge the land of all these, all these relics and these places of false worship. He's 20 years old. Now this guy, I'm not advocating that you get a, you know, a pickaxe and start tearing up stuff in the community. That's not what I'm advocating, but... But get, get a load of this, young person. You think about this. A 20-year-old young man who is so serious about revival and repentance that he begins to just purge these things out of the land. And really, it's a, it's a symbolic, I believe, for us that revi to have revival, we've got to be willing to get things out of our life that don't belong there. It just has to happen. And, and, and he had this great zeal. Like I said, I emphasized in verse 3, earlier the word purge he began to purge these things out of the land he was serious about true worship and a passion for holiness and jealous 
for the worship of God as a young person, jealous for God and for God's worship. So here's three things so far. If we really wanted to be serious about, I'm going to really, I want to get on a path, a pursuit for my life. It may not affect anybody else, but number one, I want to, I want to be obedient to everything I know is right. Everything. Number two, I'm going to really devote myself to seeking God. Number three, I'm going to begin to purge out of my life anything that God is not pleased with. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? Anything that God is not pleased with. Number four, in verse eight, we didn't read this verse yet, but number verse eight it says, Now in the 18th year of his reign, 26 years old now, when he had purged the land and the house, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Maaseah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Joahaz, the recorder, and here's the, this job assignment, the last part of verse 8, to repair the house of the Lord his God. Now we're, gonna, we're not going to read all this. They had workmen and they have funds available and they're, they're making changes. But basically he began... He began to repair because the house of God had been neglected. Now, it's spiritualizing a little bit, but there's the only way I can apply that to my life. I know what the house of God is. And it's not this building. It's the church. It's his people. But he, began, he saw that the house of God was being neglected, and he undertook this challenge to address that. And true, I believe if true revival is going to be seen, it's going to be seen in relationship to the house of God, to churches. I really believe that. And again, it's not a physical building, but God's house, God's house is central to God's plan, not only for our lives individually, but for our families and for His work. The house of God is central. It is strategic. If the house of, if, if, and as we're trying to raise our families in the right way, having, being faithful to the house of God is going to be part of that. So, so, number one, he was obedient. Number two, he sought the Lord. Number three, he purged the land. Number four, he repaired the house of God. And in the course of doing that, look with me in verse 14. As they're undertaking these renovations in the, in the house of God, it says in verse 14, and when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found a book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. He found a part of the Pentateuch, the Bible, the Scriptures. And Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah delivered the book to Shaphan. So the, four, the fifth thing that happened, they rediscovered the Word of God. Now, this is just really, I think, a very interesting thing to ponder that these people, including the priests, including these leaders, should be spiritual leaders, have misplaced the Bible. And they discovered it. They found it. Now you may think, you may be thinking, well, they probably, like us, they probably got several Bibles around. This is just the one they lost. No, they didn't have, they weren't even living by this. Because you're going to find out in a moment, when they read what it said, it threw them into another gear, really. So imagine this. They began to take God's word seriously. And as a result of that, it, 
they took it to the king in verse 18, if you'll look there with me. Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass, when the king had read the words of the law, that he rent his clothes. That's interesting, isn't it? They read something in that, and we, by the way, we'll see in a moment what they read. But what they read, the king, here's this king now. Keep in mind, he's now 26 years old, and he's, on, he's, he's really, obviously God is really working in his life and in the country. But now you add this, another layer of change comes about when he sees what the Bible has to say. He was moved. He was moved by what he saw. And you know, when I, when I read that, when I hear that, and I've studied this many times, it always, it, it's always a reminder to me of how we ought to take God's Word seriously. I mean, we could, if, we, if we could just really think about this tonight, sometimes we hear sermons, we hear messages, we hear the Bible preached, and if we're not careful, we can listen to it and say, I agree with that, may even say amen every once in a while, but walk out and really not be changed at all by it. And if that's the, if that's the case, the problem is not with the book. The problem is the way we respond to the book. I mean, he was, by the way, he wasn't reading the epistles of the New Testament. He wasn't reading the Gospels. He was reading the law. He was reading the Pentateuch, the writings of Moses. But he didn't just hear it. When they read it, he didn't just hear it. He believed it. And what he, what he believed was that judgment was coming. If you look in verse 21, it says, Go inquire of the Lord for me. This is what the king said. Go inquire of the Lord for me and for them that are left in Israel and in Judah. At this time, some of the people in Israel, the northern kingdom, have been taken by the Assyrians. So he's talking about those that are left. Go inquire of the Lord for me and for them that are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. Now, notice this. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out upon us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do after all that is written in this book. Now... That's pretty amazing to me. He, he, just heard, he just heard a few words read, probably from the book of Deuteronomy, somewhere in the law. And he said, he said to his people, we're in a heap of trouble. I mean, the book says if we don't, if we don't get it right, we're going we're gonna to be judged because of the way our fathers lived, because of the way we've been living. There's judgment coming. And yet I submit to you tonight that people today, even people, even people sitting in Baptist churches can hear where the God says we're going to judge this or you can't do this, and we just let it just like the water off the, the ducks back. We didn't register with us. We don't take it serious. I'm just saying this man was different. He was different in the way he treated sin in his land. He was different the way he treated false worship. He was different the way he sought the Lord. And he was different about the way he responded to the Word of God. I mean, this man was moved by the Word of God. You know, in the Old Testament, another place, 
in Isaiah, it says this, To this man will I look. This is what God said. To this man will I look, even to him that is of a poor and contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. And I really wonder if one of the things that has to happen in our lives, if we're really going to see revival, is we have to take God's word more seriously. Not, not, not even, you know, I mean, I'm glad, I'm glad we get to come to church. I'm glad we can have revival meetings. I'm glad we can worship the Lord together. But if we're not taking God's word seriously, then that's really an affront to God. So, if you're counting, that's five things. Number one, he was obedient to God's word. Number two, he was a seeker of God. Number three, he purged the land. Number four, he repaired the house of God. Number five, he rediscovered the word of God. And there's one last thing I want to read and we'll be finished. He was so troubled that he asked to go find a prophetess, the wife of uh, Shalom, and ask her. He said, we need, I need some advice. This, this young man says, I need some advice. You know, this woman had a reputation, this person had a reputation of, of, of knowing good advice, good counsel. And he, you know what he's concerned about? He's, here's what he's concerned about. What can we do about this? I mean, we're, we're facing judgment. We're facing judgment. And nobody seems to be concerned about it, but he's concerned about it. And so he's asking for some advice. And notice, I want you to look at it's what the advice was. Look in verse 26 and 27. And as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, so shall you say unto him. Here's, here's, here's what I say to the king of Judah, to Josiah. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which thou hast read. These, this, is, this is what God says about these words that you've read. Verse 27. Because thine heart was tender... And thou didst humble thyself before God when thou heardest his words against this place and against the inhabitants thereof. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself when you read these words about pending judgment and humblest thyself before me and didst rend thy clothes and weep before me. I have even heard thee also saith the Lord. And so, here's the last thing that Josiah exhibited for us. Not only, did he, not only did he take serious the word of God, but he had this tenderness to the, to the Lord. He was humble. He wept. He got, and God heard him. I mean, it's clear from what we see in 26 and 27, God heard him. Why did God hear him? Because his heart was tender because he was broken, because he was humble. I wonder again if sometimes something that may be standing in the way of revival is this 
is our callousness, not tender to the things of God. You know, I don't want to think, I don't want to think of myself. I don't want to think of us as being hardened to the Lord. But ask yourself, you know, can I genuinely say that I'm that I'm tender to the Lord, that, that sometimes just from reading God's word, it breaks my heart. I'm I'm weep, I'm I'm broken because of the fact that what God says in his word. So you know, when I look at Josiah, and I'm going to summarize. When I look at Josiah, I think, what an incredible thing that God did, beginning with an eight-year-old boy. Isn't that an amazing thing? That, that shaped a nation, that really impacted a nation. But then when you, we have, by the grace of God, we have in this passage many things about his character, the kind of person he was, the way he, the way he responded to truth. And I learned from him. You could, you could come, listen, young person, you could come from a very dysfunctional, unfortunate situation, and God could still use you to make a difference in this world. And even those who are young, can, that have a heart for God, can make a difference. I'm glad for our young people that exhibit a heart for God. You know, God, I believe God wants to send revival. And I think it's a, it's a real mistake. It is a real um, Example of poor judgment. If we say, well, you know, our church is stronger than some churches, or our church is better than some churches, or our church, you know, we take a better stand on this, you know, and I thank God for all that, but that's not necessarily revival. I want to see God do a great work. This town needs a church that's not built on emotionalism, it's not just built on tradition, it's not just built on, on some denominationalism, but a group of people who love God and are tender to the word of God and are serious about sin and serious about seeking God, I mean, that's exactly what God needs. That's exactly what he needs. And so what do we see in Josiah? He began to do what was right. Now, this may not seem very special, really, on the surface, but if someone tonight who hears this would say in their own heart, you know, I know there's something in my life that is displeasing to God. And by the grace of God, I'm going to do something about it. Then this whole thing would have been worth it tonight. But you know what we do sometimes? We, we build up this tolerance for things that we know aren't right. Attitudes we have that aren't right. Maybe things that we hold against someone else. Maybe some somebody's wounded us or hurt us or we've not forgiven them all these kind of things and we think we think we're okay because we still have the right bible and we still go to the right church but i'm telling you there's more to walking with god than just that our hearts are to be tender to the lord lord i want you to work in my life i want to take your word seriously i'm not just going to i'm not just going to find somebody that agrees with me and what I want the Bible to say, I'm going to get into the book and see what the Bible says. I want to follow the Bible. I want to follow the Word of God. It may be popular with everybody. It may be popular with nobody. But if it's in the book, I want to live by the Bible. And if we're not willing to do that, I'm not saying a person's not saved, but I'm just saying this. If we really want to have revival, we've got to be serious about taking God's Word seriously.